Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, as we reach the midpoint in this series, Belonging, Compassion and Caring in an Isolated World, we're going to take a switch in directions. So far, we've been talking about us, about y'all and me. We've been talking about how we belong here. The first week of the Belong series, we said there are three words, three B words that we use around here to define our core values, belong, believe, and behave. And we belong here by virtue of being alive. That's what we said the first week. If you're here for the first time, we hope that you know you belong here. We want you to be part of us just because you're alive. And we talked about how when we start to belong to a church where the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus is lived out and spoken, we start to believe certain things about Jesus. And last week we talked about that, that belonging becomes a given for us when uh, the Apostle Peter told us this, we belong to Jesus Christ. So that's a belief. We believe that there's a God and that God has a son whose name is Jesus. He came here and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he rose from the dead to demonstrate the power of God and to demonstrate the truth of who he was and is. Then he returned to heaven. He sent his spirit to be in us and with us until he returns. And in the meantime, we are called to be his body, his eyes, his mouth, his hands, his feet, his ears in this world, sharing the new life of Jesus with others. And so today, we're going to stop talking about us and belonging And we're going to talk about some people who aren't here. We're going to talk about those who are outside. Those who Jesus referred to as the least, the last, and the lost. Thirteen and a half years ago when Nancy and I started New Life, we had a heart for lost people. In fact, the mission that we developed is simply this, sharing the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Because we know that lost people matter to God. We have a passion for lost people, for people who never come to church, or for people who quit coming to church, and we want people to be part of new life because we know that those lost people matter to God. So we're going to switch directions. We're going to talk about those who are outside of New life. Now, the reason I know how important it is to talk about them is because it's not natural for us to hang out with people who aren't like us. I've always known that. Probably you know it intuitively as well. We hang out with people who who look like us, think like us, talk like us, act like us. But there was was an article in the Washington Post two weeks ago that sort of demonstrates the truth of that. It's called, uh, Three Quarters of Whites Don't Have Any Non-White Friends. Christopher Ingram wrote the article and he pointed out how dramatically we tend to stick with those who are like us. He said that 75% of whites have an entirely white social network, which is easy to do in Butler County, by the way, because 98% of the people are white. But for every 100 friends, the average white American has one black friend, one Latino friend, one Asian friend, one mixed-race friend, one friend of other race, three friends of unknown race, and 91 white friends. And one, apparently, who doesn't exist because that only adds up to 99 And then, if you happen to be black, you have 83 black friends, 8 white friends, 2 Latino friends, no Asian friends, 3 mixed-race friends, 1 other race friends, and 4 friends of unknown race for a total of 101 people. That's where that other friend came. Okay. So anyway, I share this information not to say that people who aren't like us are lost, 
But to simply say that we tend not to think about people who aren't like us. And we tend not to hang out with people who are not like us. And, and that statistic would probably be very much verified or even magnified in our region because we have to be real intentional to find people who aren't like us in this region. So, today's message is titled, Compassion for the Least, the Last, and the lost. And I realized that it's probably not politically correct to call people least and last and lost, but I didn't make up those names. Jesus did. In fact, what Jesus said is that if you do anything good for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, Jesus said, you're doing it for me. And Jesus said, those who are last here on earth, some of those people are first in heaven. And then he said this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So lost people matter to God, and they, they matter to Jesus, and since lost people matter to, to Jesus, He calls us to reach out and find the lost ones as well. So today we're going to think about people who aren't thinking about us. At a conference a couple years ago, Pastor Brad and I went to out in Lancaster, PA, uh, pa uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel asked this question. He said, what do unchurched people think about your church? What do unchurched people think about new life? And as we were all, you know, they're all pastors and youth pastors at this thing, and we're all, you know, smoke's coming out of our brains because we're trying to think about what do lost people think? You know, what do unchurched people think? And his answer was simply this. Unchurched people aren't thinking about your church. Unchurched people never think about your church. I mean, they don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, I wonder what new life's doing today. They don't. They don't care. They don't think about us. So here's the question. Why should we think about people who don't think about us? Why should we care about people who don't care about us? Well, the short answer is also our take-home point today. And the take-home point for those of you who are first time uh, with us today is the one point that we seek to make every week and, uh, and to take home and live out in our daily lives. And so here it is. God cares for every person, and so must we. You see, God doesn't only care for white people or black people or Asian people or Arab people. God cares for every single person as if there were only one person. God cares for each of us as if only one of us existed. If only you or if only I existed, we would have had Jesus come to the earth and die for us because He cares that much about us. Now, what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of a person that you know who would fit into one of those categories of least or last or lost. And I'm guessing that if a person fits into one of those categories, that person might have a drug addiction or a mental illness or, or that person might have a really big sin problem, although there isn't such a thing as a little sin problem. But one of the things that our culture has done effectively over the past several decades is we've eliminated a lot of labels. We've eliminated a lot of labels people used to use pejoratively about people. And, and so when we used to use those labels, it was easy to dismiss people because labels are for boxes which are put on shelves and forgotten. And when we stop using the labels, maybe we remember the person. But here's the thing. I just want to ask you, do you think there's more compassion in the world today than there was a year ago or 10 years ago or 100 years ago? Because you know what? Just because we stop using labels, it doesn't mean that we really care or include somebody in our group, that we include them in our spectrum of those that we love, in our families. And so Jesus reminded us in a very brief conversation that he had with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, about how much that we're supposed to care about everybody 
and, and that we're not supposed to look down on anybody and that we're constantly supposed to be seeking for those who are least and those who are last and those who are lost. And here it is. It's Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bible, you might want to open up and read from Matthew 18 as I read, or you might want to get out your Bible app and uh, look at there, or else you might just want to look up on the screen. But these are the words of Jesus. He said this, See that you do not look down on these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. The Son of Man came to save what was lost. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that when we were lost, you came and found us. We thank you so much that you're still looking for every lost person across this planet. We thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to search with you. And my prayer today is that our hearts will be your hearts, that our minds will be your minds, and that our spirits will be your spirits when it comes to the least, the last, and the lost in our spheres of influence. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said, see that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So when I read little ones, did anybody think of children? Most of us do when we think of little ones. But the interesting thing is there is a word for child in the Greek language. And when Matthew recorded what Jesus said, he didn't use that word. The word child is pideon. We get the word pediatrics from it. But he didn't use that word. He used a different word. He used the word micron. Micron. We get the word micro from it. Literal, little one. The micro one. And who, who, who's that? Is, is it the child? Is, is it the infant? Actually, we have another clue. He said that all of these little ones, their guardian angel is in the presence of God. We all have a guardian angel. I don't know if you know that, but this verse proves it. And actually, all the little ones, that's us. Because from God's perspective, from God's perspective, we're all micro. You know, we're all little from God's perspective. And, and, and it says here that our guardian angels are doing sort of like this. They're looking at the face of God, and they're looking at us. And they're looking at the face of God, and they're looking at us. And, and they're there for us. And we probably don't even notice it most of the time. In any case, Jesus tells us that we are not to look down on anybody because we all matter to God as if there were only one of us who mattered to God. And Jesus' point is clear. It's our responsibility to be looking just as He is looking for the lost. Now, as we turn to verse 11, as it was up on the screen, it was in brackets. The word, the, the, the verse 11 was in brackets. And the reason for that is because there are a whole bunch of Greek manuscripts all over the world that have been found. And as they've put them all together to translate them into other languages, what they found is that verse 11 is missing in a lot of translations. Or I should say a lot of the original manuscripts. And so when it says the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to save what was lost, it wasn't necessarily in the most original manuscript of the Gospel of Matthew, the one that, Jesus, that Matthew wrote down. But here's a question. Does Jesus, does Jesus save what was lost? <laughs> yeah. 
In fact, he says that in other places. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And here's the key. I want everybody to understand. Everybody in the room needs to understand. We were all lost. We either are lost or we were lost. We weren't confused. We weren't disoriented. We're lost. And the good shepherd is, is the one who goes and looks for the lost ones. And in fact, Jesus uses that very image. And it's an image from the culture in which he lived because in his day, it was an agrarian culture and everybody grew plants and everybody raised animals. And there were shepherds on all the fields around Israel. And so Jesus uses this image. He says, what do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. You see, when a good shepherd looks around and counts his 100 sheep and finds there are only 99, the good shepherd doesn't say, oh, I got 99, why should I worry about that one? The good shepherd says, wait a minute, I have 100 sheep and one's missing. I got to go look for that one. And he goes off and leaves the 99 on the field, that, on the hill. That's dangerous because somebody can attack the 99. The 99 can wander off while he's looking for the one, but he doesn't care because the one matters. The one matters so much that he goes out and looks for the one. And the thing is, do we care? Do we care about the one? And when I ask you that question, I'm not asking if you're going to sign up for the next overseas mission trip, although that might be a way to reach out for one that's been lost. What I'm asking is, will you look around this room and see if you find anybody you don't know who maybe looks lost? When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to the cafeteria, will you look around the cafeteria and see if there's anybody that looks lost? When you go to work tomorrow, you go to the supermarket tomorrow, when I do that, will we look around and say, ooh, that one there looks lost and if that one there looks lost and doesn't look like me doesn't fit into my group of 99 am I going to step out of the group of 99 and go look or am I going to keep in the safety of those who are like me who think like me who talk like me who act like me what will I do the punchline to Jesus' message was this. In the same way your Father in Heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now here's the truth. Little ones are lost every day. It's not the Father's will that any be lost, but little ones are lost every day. There are those who are lost before they're even born through abortion. There are toddlers and preschoolers who are being lost every day. There are, there are ones who make it to elementary school and middle school and, and high school and college, and, and somewhere along the way they get lost. And some of us think if we just keep them in our own houses and, and take care of them there, they'll, they'll never get lost. But some of those ones get lost too. And the thing is, Jesus raises this specific question for each of us. Are we willing that any of these little ones should be lost? I know the task is overwhelming. There are billions with a B of people who are lost. There are billions of lost sheep out there. How can we find billions? And the answer is we can't. How can we find millions? The answer is we can't. But Jesus, notice what he said. There were 100 sheep, and how many of them were lost? One. Now, there are more than one. There's, Jesus knew there are more than one. There's more than one sheep lost. But why did Jesus say one? Because we can, we can, grab, our, you know, we can grab our brain around one. In fact, everybody in this room could go out today and could find one lost person. 
Everybody in this room today could go out and find out there one person who's not like us, one person who's least, one person who's last, one person who's lost. And we could pray for that person. We could put our lives into that person's life so that they would experience what we've already experienced being found. Over the years, I've had so many excuses from people for why they don't look for that lost one. Well, that lost one got lost on their own. They, she wanted to be lost. She's, she wandered off on her own. You know what's interesting about the parable? Jesus doesn't say how the sheep got lost. Some sheep get lost because they're little and they don't know better and they just get lost. Here's how some sheep get lost. They put their head down and they eat and they eat and they walk and they walk and they eat and they eat and they walk and they walk and they eat. And then they put their head up and they go, hey, where is everybody? They didn't try to get lost, but they didn't try not to get lost. So there they are. They're lost. By some fault of their own, by no fault of their own, they're lost. And Jesus doesn't even care about how they got lost. All Jesus cares about is that they're lost. And so Jesus tells us that we're supposed to go out and look for them. Now, here's a very important question, and the answer you're thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to this is not the answer you're, that I'm going to say. All of these lost sheep out there in the world, are we responsible for them? And the answer is no, we're not responsible for them. We're not. You see, we are responsible for a group of them. The Pideon. The children. When, when, when Abby and Emmy were five and one, Nancy and I were responsible for them. They were our daughters. We were responsible to feed them, to clothe them, to protect them, to pray for and with them, to show them the ways that they should grow up in. We were responsible for them. And there are millions of children in the world. We're responsible for them too because nobody else is. And so, yes, we're responsible for that group of people. But what about the ones who have grown up? What about the ones who are out there, the lost sheep who are out there, who want to be out there? They want to be lost. We're not responsible for them, but we are responsible to them. We're responsible to them. What does that mean? It means you and I are responsible to show them the love of Jesus. We're responsible to speak to them the truth of Jesus in the love of Jesus. We're responsible to them to look for them even if they're not looking for us. They might never think about us, but we're responsible to think about them. That's what I'm talking about this morning is we need to put ourselves in the position of Jesus now because the Good Shepherd has brought us back into the fold and He calls us to go out and reach out with Him in this whole process. One day, the children that we raise become adults. And in those days, they get to decide what they're going to do. And many times, they will choose the wrong thing. And one of the hardest things for a good shepherd to do is to find a lost sheep and tell the sheep the truth and show them the love that the shepherd offered us first and have the person say, no, don't want that. I'm not going to accept that. You see, the, the thing is, when we hear no, we usually give up. And even Jesus said at one point when he's talking to the disciples, when you go out and you go to a village, they don't accept you, you know, wipe the dust off your sandals, let them, and people say, well, he said give up. No, he didn't say give up. He said get out. My experience is you get out for a little while, you wait and you go back because eventually they're going to have a need. They're going to say yes. They might not say yes at first, but they can say no. You see, is the search hard? Yeah, it's always hard. What's the hardest thing of all is a lost sheep that's found who doesn't want to be. 
And, and we go back to that saying of Jesus, you know, all right, yeah, Jesus said, it's not the will of your Father in heaven that even one should perish, and yet all these sheep are perishing, and some of them are purposely perishing. And so we say, wait a minute, isn't he God? Isn't he the God of the universe? Isn't he able to do anything he wants to do? Isn't he all loving? So how is it that this sheep gets lost and he stays lost? Or this sheep gets lost and she stays lost? I mean, if he's in charge... And that's the question everybody asks. Why isn't everything perfect if God created everything? Well, here we know the answer. We don't want to hear the answer, but we know the answer. If the shepherd only gives room for the sheep to say yes, the sheep aren't really sheep. They're robots. They're puppets. The shepherd who loves the sheep lets the sheep say yes or no. And that's the hard part for us. Jesus reminded us in a brief conversation or I should say, Jesus reminded us that sometimes, sometimes, the sheep say no. It is not the Father's will that any of these little ones should perish. Some do, some will. But that's not what we remember. We remember that Jesus said to go. We remember that we are called to go out, and here's the cool thing, many of the sheep say yes. Over time, many of the ones that we find who are lost, who are hurting, who are isolated, who feel all alone, what we've been talking about the first two weeks, they're so glad to have somebody who actually cares. Not somebody who says they care, but somebody who actually cares. And we speak the truth in love to them, and when they say yes, we welcome them into the fold with no questions asked. And when they say no, we keep praying and we keep persisting. We might have to give up for a while. For a while, but we always go back. We get out, we don't give up, and then we go back. When I come here to worship, every single day when I come here to worship, I ask myself this question. If I had never been in a church before, how would I feel about being here? If I had never been in a church before, how would I feel about being here? Because you see, this building was not built for church people. And you go, well, no kidding. I mean, there's no windows. I mean, if it was a church building, it would certainly have windows. Well, this is a gym. Ultimately, this is going to be a gym. A gym with windows is a really bad idea because balls go through windows. They don't go through walls. The other thing is, you know, I mean, there's like fog in here today. Did you notice that? Somebody was going to get the fire extinguisher at the first service. So why in the world would we have fog in here? Well, because we're not trying to please church people. I mean, I know somebody's going, I don't know about that fog in here. I don't think we should be having fog in here. You know? Last night, somebody came here who has never really been to church in the last five years and hasn't really been there much before that. And you know what he said when he went out? Wow, this is a cool place. Yes. You see, when sheep wander in here, we want them to feel welcome, like they belong not like they have to wear a certain thing or they have to understand a certain language. I mean, you don't want somebody to have to have ability to understand a foreign language called churchese in order to understand the message. And so if you come in here ever and you go, wow, that's pretty simple. Yeah, no kidding. That's what we do here. We don't dumb it down. We don't just make it so that anybody can feel good when they come here. I mean, heck, I don't even feel good when I leave here sometimes. We tell the truth, but we do it clearly so that somebody knows when they've been offended with the gospel. 
A long, long time ago, I went to seminary. And I used to not like some of the things they taught me in seminary. And I still don't like some of them. But the thing that, that, that I heard a long, long time ago is if you're going to offend somebody, offend them with the Gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Don't offend them with other things. And if I offend a Christian who already knows Jesus who's going to die and go to heaven, you know what? Honest to God, I don't care. But if I offend a lost person, that breaks my heart. Because I know that a Christian will go find another church. A lost person won't. We get one chance sometimes to show our love. We get one chance to speak the truth in a way that it makes sense. And every time I stand up here, I know I, got, I have one chance. Not a hundred, not two hundred, one. And so this morning, I want you to think about something. You'll never forget this because I, I, this happened to me uh, wow, a long time ago, 1980 probably six. I was in my first church as an associate pastor, and uh, there was a guy there named Mert Baumgars, and Mert Baumgars was an amazing guy. He was an elder in the church, and he had two dead kidneys. He was waiting for a kidney transplant, and so, and Mert was a wealthy guy, and he had a bass boat. It was a beautiful bass boat, and every, about once a month in the summertime, Mert would call me up and say, Chris, you need to go fishing. Okay, Mert, I'll go fishing. And so we would go out fishing, and one day we were, we were floating down the, this little river in the state of Indiana, and it was a sunny, brilliant day, bad day for fishing, bad time for fishing, and we're floating along. We didn't have the engine on. We were just floating down with the, the, the stream, you know, and all of a sudden, Mert throws out the anchor, and then he gets in his tackle box, and he gets out this specific lure. He puts it on the line, you know, and then he casts it in a specific spot in the river, and it, as soon as it hits, poof. This big bass takes it, you know, and he has this fight, and, and he brings it, and he catches the fish. And I said, Mert, how did you do that? And he said, this is what I'll never forget. He said, Chris, if you're going to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. I said, what do you mean, Mert? He said, well, you see that big stone over there? I said, yeah. He said, you see how it put a shadow over the sunny water there? I said, yes. He said, I knew there would be a big bass in there. And he said, and I knew because the sun is shining brightly like that, if I put my lure in the water, he just sees something land, he thinks it's food, and he's going to bite it because he can't tell the difference. And I don't know if a fish can tell the difference or not, but I do know Merck caught that fish. And as I was sitting there, I was, the light bulb went off. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul said, when I'm around Jews, I act like a Jew. When I'm around Gentiles, I act like a Gentile. When I'm around the weak, I act like I'm weak. He says, I've become all things to all people that I might all, by all means save some. And then he said, I do it for the sake of the gospel, for the good news. And all of my adult life, all of my adult life, I've been seeking who Jesus is seeking. Lost people. If you're lost today, if you're lost today, I'm so glad you're here because our purpose is to help you be found by the Good Shepherd who loves you more than you'll ever imagine and who loves all of us in the room and we belong together because of that. In fact, today's commitment says this, I will show compassion to someone I would normally ignore. I will show compassion to someone I would normally ignore this week. And if you're found I want you to go out today and I want you to start looking with Jesus' eyes at the people around who you don't usually see because I'll tell you what, they don't usually see you either. They're not thinking about us. We have to think about them because Jesus died for them and we were once them. 
Now, here's the thing. I, I, I don't want to get distracted from, I was talking for a moment. If you're in the room and you're, you're lost, but you're here, I want you to understand something. Jesus has been looking for you all your life. Jesus has been looking for you all your life. He loves you. He doesn't care why you're lost. He doesn't care what it was that caused you to walk away. He, maybe you didn't even know he existed, but he does. The good shepherd exists. He laid down his life. He died for you. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks a lot about being a shepherd, a good shepherd, and he contrasts himself with this other person, the thief. The thief is the devil, and it says, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then he says, I have come that you may have life in all of its abundance. I have come that you may have life in all of its abundance. And that's what Jesus offers everyone. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, it's, all, it's simple. It's not easy, it's simple. Simple as this, Jesus, I understand that you've been looking for me. Here I am. I, I'm yours. I, I thank you for dying on the cross to take away my sins, and I ask you to become my Lord, which means owner. I ask you to become my Savior, which means save me from sin and death. And, and if you do that right now, you go from being lost to being found. Now, for those of us who are in the room who have already been found, I'm going to ask God, I'm going to, we're going to pray right now, and I'm just going to ask God to fill us up with his spirit so that we cannot ignore the commitment that's up there today, that we're not going to go out and go back to our group of friends that we've known forever and ignore the ones for whom Jesus died. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. First, I thank you so much for sending Jesus to save me and to save all of us. I thank you, God, that, uh, that he's still looking and that he calls us to look. I pray for any in the room today, any who will hear me uh, through the, the message that's going to be on the internet, that are, that are lost, that are wandering, that need you. I pray that each one will respond, will say yes to you. And God, I pray for the rest of us that you'd fill us up with your, ho your Holy Spirit to overflowing, that we might experience the passion and the compassion to reach out to the least the last and the lost, that your name may be glorified, that your kingdom may grow, and that people everywhere might experience the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name, amen.